CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, August 25th, 2022. Here's a headline in the Chicago Sun-Times that sort of sums up where we're at uh, in the world, in our city, uh, in our country. Uh, and it kind of will lead into maybe uh, a conversation that I'm about to have with my distinguished guest. Drive-by across street from Schur's High School leaves four teens wounded in the middle of the day. Someone just lost their freaking mind uh, and uh, went by uh, Schur's High School and just shot up a bunch of kids who were in a store, uh, ice cream store across the street. And, uh, you know, papers are filled with stories like this. Uh, we talk about them all the time. In my humble opinion, there's a madness in America that we're not addressing. Uh, and I absolutely believe in gun control because crazy people will do crazy things if you give them weapons uh, and destructive things. But we should also deal with the craziness of our time. And I'm speaking uh, just old school words that are probably not uh, politically acceptable anymore, but just I'm an old school kind of guy. So anyway, that uh, is the headline. Uh, in today's Sun Times, what's going on in the world? If you're listening to this podcast three years from now, that was the headlines on this day. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce yourself, and then away we go. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Distinguished. <laughs> I'm Allison Jordan, or Allison Jordan Hodges, or former Allison Jordan Hodges. And I am the host of the podcast, The Brain Truth with Allison Jordan, every Tuesday at 7.30 on iHeartRadio. We're on Podbean, Apple, Google, wherever you find your podcast. All right. And uh, so just a little personal thing. Uh, Allison Jordan is one of these people that's always sort of been in the background uh, whenever I've done stories. She's always she's never been where she is now, like in front of the mic uh, in uh, telling her tale, telling other people's tales. She's always been the person like steering somebody else's ship from behind the scenes. And I just have to give a personal shout out. Never done this before, but I'm going to do it now that she's sitting there. She probably doesn't want me to do it, but I don't care. I did a story about the great Craig Hodges 
for the reader about five years ago, that story would not have been completed without the assistance of Allison Jordan, who came rushing to the rescue when I was trying to figure out a chronology that worked, that made sense, Man. that Insane. Well, I mean, let's tell it like a T.I. is. My mother say, tell it like a T.I. is. When, you know, the book was written, I only read like maybe four books that Craig Hodges wrote a book. And um, of course, Craig Hodges is my ex-husband. We we're married 10 years or longer. And, um, you know, I was the supposedly first black woman to run a professional sports franchise uh, called the Chicago Condors. Anyway, he wrote a book and... I read a few page, pages and realized that it was inaccurate, basically. <laughs> like all my story was given to somebody else. And so when I heard you were doing a story about Craig and the lawsuit or whatever it was, um, I started to see some of the things that weren't inaccurate. And of course, I, I don't know if you know this, Ben, but I went to college for journalism. Hello, Columbia. I know the inverted pyramid and I know the, the, the W's and the accuracy. And so I'm like, hold on now. So um, I told Craig, I said, Craig, this story is inaccurate. How do you give my life to someone else? And he's like, I don't know. Okay, fine. Call Ben. Call me. Gave me your number. So I called you and I was like, yo. So I told you. And then I never forget the funniest, the funniest thing, but the most brilliant thing you said. Um, I had gotten Craig on the phone. Remember, we did a three way. And I said, Craig, you know, you did this stuff. You gave my my storyline to someone else and he's going to do his big story. And he goes, well, you know, at the time we weren't really talking, you know, we weren't really getting along. And then Ben said, the truth never changes, though. (laughs) 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 Regardless, I mean, the truth does stay the same, regardless if you're not talking to her. And I'm like, bingo. And then that's when we spend hours going combing through the accuracy. And, and, And honestly, it's been a link that I continuously send both Craig and I, when people want to know what happened, it is, it is the truth and it is the accuracy. Well, it, it, it was, by the way, the imitation me was, it, it, what's the better imitation? Your imitation of Craig Hodges, which is pretty good. He's got that raspy <laughs> DJ voice. Yeah, he should be doing a jazz I mean, show. I don't know if Craig Hodges even likes jazz, but he should be doing a jazz show. Cause yeah. he got that raspy, you know, I am brother. Uh, <laughs> 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 or me, the imitation of me, uh, which kind of was going into David Chappelle white guy country, you know. Well, uh, uh, just a minute, officer. Uh, uh, just where Allison was heading, which is fine. I don't care. Uh, all right. Uh, so enough of that uh, on the Craig Hodges story. But we did have a good time. I got to admit, we had so much fun talking. On we the did. Phone. We actually. Uh, we did have a lot of fun laughing like crazy. All right. So. Allison, this is a side of you. Again, not only just going public, but the story that you tell, you're very open, you're very honest, uh, and you're dealing with an issue uh, of mental health issues that I cannot emphasize enough. The whole world has, the whole world's in denial about it, uh, and as a result, we continue (laughs) along the path of madness, which is in a form of madness. So why don't you just, since you're willing to do this, and I thank you for doing this, uh, just give a little backdrop. Uh, background about yourself uh, and the mental issues that you cope with and how they apply to other people go. So, you know, my life, um, you know, when I tell people my story and what I've done in the entertainment industry and everywhere, it's like, oh my God, oh my God. But it's all going to have meaning, right? Um, So 
I went to college at Columbia, like I said, studied journalism, and I worked under Mayor Harold Washington, uh, the late hair, the late mayor, great mayor, and the Office of Special Events. And you know, was part of the team that produced some of the greatest festivals that are still standing, like the Taste of Chicago and the Blues Fest, and then Jazz Fest at the time, and and so on. Went on to Hollywood and worked for Johnny Carson Productions for a show called A Man. Uh, I produced a show on Stars Network called The First Amendment, Martin Lawrence, and ran Wesley Snipes Film Company for several years, who's an old friend of mine, before he went to jail. And uh, and so uh, came back, married Craig Hodges, and ran the women's professional basketball team, which was part of the ABL, which was the premier women's professional basketball team before the WNBA, a guy by the name of Gary Cavalli, founded the ABL, which the tagline was called Real Basketball, because guess what? We played you know, a full season, 44 games and during basketball season. And so I did that and uh, also managed my sister, who's an actress. Her name is Drew Sidora. You've probably seen her on 40 different projects like Wild Hogs with John Travolta, The Game. She played Tiva. She's now on that show, the Atlanta Housewives. You can just Google her. But anyway, so my life has been filled with the entertainment industry. Lived in Hollywood for over 15 years still produce a lot of stuff that people know in Chicago, the, the African Festival of the Arts. I produced The Real Man Cook for a while. And um, and so I got a book deal in April of 2020, right in the heart of COVID. Um, well, yeah, March, yeah, month into the heart of COVID uh, from Lumen U.S. Uh, Publishing and started writing this incredible book that was going to be my autobiography about my time in Hollywood and working with people like Spike and Richard Pryor and Wesley Snipes and Denzel Washington and blah, blah, blah. And also some of the things that I had encountered over my life. Um, while writing, a lot of the things started to come up that we, all of us, tuck away. 93% of adults have trauma that we tuck somewhere deep in our subconscious. And it only takes something to trigger it to bring it back. So I started writing my book and everything came up from my molestation at 10 years old, my molestation at 12 years old. Um, I was raped at 18 in college, drug drug date rape by uh, so-called, he wasn't a boyfriend, it was like our first date. And then I was in an abusive relationship with a guy who I called boyfriend, who beat the crap out of me, put a gun to my head, pulled the trigger, the bullet got lodged, he went to reload it, and I somehow got away. And so... When all that started coming up in April, March, April, May, around May of 2020, in the heart of COVID, being locked down, not being able to move around and distract yourself, because that's what usually happens to us, is that we distract from our realities. And uh, I went down. I called 911 so many times. I was having panic attacks. Um, I started having nightmares and would later on know it's PTSD. And eventually on June 27th, I called 911, went to the emergency room uh, at St. James Hospital. And uh, they looked in the computer and apparently saw that I had been there like a regular, <laughs> um, like cheers, everybody knew my name. And so they decided by petition to transfer me to River Edge Hospital where I spent 19 days. Um, one day the psychiatrist said, uh, oh, so you ready to speak today? And I said, uh, I've never seen you a day in my life. And he said, uh, I've been talking to you every day for nine days. And I was like, wow, nine days. Well, what did I say? And he started giving me gibbery notes about stuff that had happened to me. And must have been me because the stuff was about me. <laughs> he wouldn't have known. 
And I went in my room, I got on my knees and I just said, you know, God, if I get out of here, um, then I changed it. And I said, when I get out of here, I'm going to dedicate my life to mental illness, mental health. And uh, apparently, you know, I'm being used in some kind of way to help others. Um, and so I would later find out maybe six months later that I videotaped myself in the emergency room before the ambulance took me to the hospital. It's about a seven minute uh, video of me talking about what was happening to me. And, uh, and I said in that, in that video that um, God must be using me because I, I, I'm a pretty much sane person. I mean, I've done all this great stuff, right? And, but I'll figure it out, I guess, on the other side. So here I am on the other side. Um, two years later, um, I sit on the board for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I am a mental health first aider. Um, I'm a peer-to-peer youth, -peer youth support group leader for NAMI Illinois. And I'm also QPR certified in suicide prevention. And um, so what happened was with the podcast that came about, um, came home from the hospital, medicated with, you know, antidepressants, uh, anti-anxiety meds, other kind of meds, other kind of meds. And if anybody knows about, um, you know, antidepressants or anything like SSRs and all that, it takes weeks for it to do what's called re-up into the brain. Um, our serotonin needs to come back up. I was diagnosed at the time with major depressive disorder, um, anxiety disorder, social anxiety, uh, and panic disorder, which were my diagnosis then. And about... August, so I got out July 15th, around the end of August, around this, maybe, I think today is actually the anniversary. Yep, it is today, August 25th. My husband, who I've been with, will be 10 years in January, we've been together 18 years, um, decides to get in his car and drive away. <laughs> and I uh, haven't seen or talked to him probably in almost two years. I have spoken to him via text and did see him one time recently. But, you know, again, sitting in this body that I know now, I have no anger towards him. I forgive him. And I could probably understand in this body now, you know, what it may have looked like for him. You know, I mean, he was dealing with whatever he was dealing with. And then um, who was that girl, you know, and what was the 18 years like? I don't know, because this person that you're talking to now has gone through two years a very, very hard, um, rewarding work. Um, so after he left, I was like, okay, great. I didn't even realize it till six months later that he was really gone. That's how out of it I was. I kept thinking, oh, he's coming back, right? Tomorrow, right? Tomorrow I'll turn into 60 days, 90 days. So, um, so anyway, a friend called who has a podcast, very popular, at iHeart and said, I need you to host my podcast. And I go, why me? I just got to the hospital and I started rambling all the, the stuff that would make it be impossible for, for me to do the podcast. And he would go, okay, no problem. But he kept saying, no, no, I don't care. I don't care. My house caught on fire. Years ago, you said, if I ever, ever stepped away, I never have in 10 years. Today's the day you're doing it. <laughs> and so I said, ah, so I said, well, who am I interviewing? So you can interview who you want. I brought my mom. She's a pastor. I figured she can pray over me all the way there, all the way during, the, during it. So I did this podcast. 
um, it was through Drive at Five and interviewed my mom, talked about my dad, who's a well-known pediatrician who now has Alzheimer's, and everybody started calling in. Everybody who's my dad's patients and me, who knew me, and the show was successful. Came back the next week, show was successful. They said, give this girl a podcast. I'm like, okay, that's it. This is where the buck ends. I'm done. No. Like, yo, I'm going back under my covers, right? Lady takes me in the back room, marketing people. They're like, yeah, no, give it to her. Like, what's the deal? I told her the story I just told you about my whole life and how I was in the hospital, blah, blah, blah. She goes, you know, there's a hospital that said they would, you know, sponsor, you know, a podcast if we talked about mental illness or anything. But, you know, they're all black podcasters here. Black people don't want to talk about it. It's a stigma among everybody, but specifically, I, as I know now, in African-American community. And I said, oh, well. And then as I got up from my chair, I said, you know what? What's the name of the hospital? She said, River Edge. That was the hospital I spent 19 days in. That was the hospital that I got on my knees. And I made a commitment to God that I would dedicate my life to this. And uh, in that moment, I looked up to the sky and I said, okay, God, we got a podcast. <laughs> And uh, she said, what's the name going to be? And I said, right there, brain truth, the brain truth, like the plain truth. That's all I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the truth. And I'm going to teach people about the brain, the importance of the brain. What does the brain do and why the brain does what the brain does. And um, 50 something shows later, 1.9 million listeners, seven suicide ideations reversed. 200 people to River Edge Hospital and 1,000 people to intake. Um, so I pretty much believe that I was used. <laughs> yeah. And that's why well, I'm sitting here. Today. I, uh, I could tell you, uh, as a guy who's been in the podcast game for a while, 1.9 listeners after 50 shows is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. I know I hear people say, well, what about Joe Rogan? Okay, all right. There's some guys who have a lot, but for most podcasts, that's uh, a, a lot of people, a lot of listeners. All right, so let's go back. I want to get into the issue about the black community and mental health. I, I got that written down to get to that, but I have to ask you a question. So when you were telling your, the story, uh, you told you made some horrific references, uh, references to some horrific events in your life, to put it mildly, euphemistically. Uh, talking about uh, abuse, violence against you, date rape, uh, molestation at a very early age on two occasions. At any point in your life before uh, this breakdown in 2020, in the summer of 2020, at any point in your life, did you go to a therapist? Did you seek mental health mm -hmm. counseling? Never, no. not once. Because, because we don't know. Um, when I was molested at 10, I stopped talking. Um, I didn't speak for a year. And then my parents just thought, you know, I was, had some kind of something disability and they put me in a special class. It was either no, at 12. I think I stopped cause I was in seventh grade. They put me in a special class in 12th grade and, um, and I'm sorry, in seventh grade. And they told me that, you know, she's just, something's wrong with her. She just don't talk. No one said why, you know, I know why now, because my molester said, don't talk ever and don't tell anybody anything. And as a child, you just stop talking. Um, and so I stopped talking, went to this special class and, um, you know, what happens with our lives is that 
we have these experiences that we tuck and we throw it in the future. <laughs> and so, you know, somebody says, don't talk or be quiet or shut up or you're worthless, you're this. We throw it all in a future in a bag and then we carry that bag and then we meet people and say, love me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Let me have you hold this. And, um, and so for a long time, I didn't talk and then I still never was self-assertive till now. And, um, social anxiety was a major part of my life, even though people say, well, you're outgoing or you're doing this, but that's not what social anxiety meant. We had to do a whole show about it. What does it mean? And, um, so, yeah, um, I knew that I never wanted to go back to my cousin's house to spend the night. I used to beg my mother and go nuts when they went over there and say we had to spend the night and literally like kick and scream until one day she was like, OK, fine. What is wrong with you? You're not going. And, you know, OK, great. Thanks. You know, <laughs> um, and so it was just literally after I got out of the hospital, probably like a year after I called my cousins where I was molested in the house. Cause I remember the bed would collapse, like the slats would fall out of it. And I told my mom about this probably 20 years ago. And she's like, well, I don't think you ever spent the night. So it was almost like, okay, so did it happen or didn't it happen? So I called my cousins and who I hadn't talked to in years. Um, and she was like, Oh my God, my favorite cousin, what's going on? And she's screaming and happy. I said, well, this call is going to be a little, you know, serious. <laughs> and I said, you know, I was molested at your house when I spent the night once. I was upstairs in a bed that the slats broke. And it was a man that stunk. He smelled like cigarettes and liquor. And she goes, yeah, you're in cousin so-and-so's bed. Her slats already always fell out. And that was cousin Dempsey. And he just died. And he raped all of us and my male cousin. And he got another cousin from the age of like, I think, nine to 13. But no, none of us ever told each other and none of us ever told anybody. And that's how this thing plays out. And that is why suicide ideation is up 600%. Mental health is up 700%. And that's why there are one therapist per every 30,000 people that need it and waiting lists all over the country to get therapy. Because one thing the pandemic did was it stirred up all that crap we had tucked away from our childhood, from our marriages, from our families, from our issues that we never dealt with because we distracted ourselves in work and partying and vacation and playing like we're getting along at Thanksgiving and to a reality check. <laughs> That is so true. What a riff. And uh, I'd like you to address an issue uh, that popped in my mind as I listened to you, uh, your response to that story. And uh, that is what I call the cumulative impact of not confronting trauma. Follow me on this, Allison. You had some very traumatic moments in your life at a very early age, and you didn't confront them. I'm not blaming you. I'm just stating a fact. Yeah. You didn't confront didn't know them. How. You didn't know how. There was nobody to help you. Nobody was holding your hand. And uh, I, listen, I'm in the same boat. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have nearly as uh, traumatic a moment. But trust me when I tell you, I had my share, and I didn't confront them. And my behavior, I adjusted my behavior as a result. And it was only until much, much later in my life that I realized my behavior was a response to things bad things that had happened to me repeatedly oh, exactly. and 
I believe 99% of the world is that way. Uh, and 99% so I, of the world yeah, is that is way. reacting mm-hmm. on the way that is either innate, um, our environment, what we heard in vitro, <laughs> uh, what we saw, what we ate, you know, and how we didn't confront things. And it doesn't mean, you know, it has to be to a point where you got to go into a psychiatric hospital. However, if we are not in a place now that we are authentically speaking our truth and unloading it, it, it can combust. It really can. It, because somebody can trigger something not knowing, you know, and then it, like you saw, you know, the situation, unfortunately, with the lady who crashed and, and killed all those people in L.A. Um, because she was grieving over her her fiance who died or was missing and whatever. And why why that day? From what I understand, he um, it was two years he had passed away, you know, but something triggered it. Something got her in that car and decided to do what she did that day. And it resulted in six deaths. So you don't know, like that day that I was taken away in my, in the ambulance, um, I didn't know that day I was going to spend 19 days in a psychiatric hospital. I didn't know it was going to, the trajectory was going to lead me here. Um, I thought I was just going to go get some Ativan, come on back home and keep figuring this crap out. But they saw differently, you know? And when I look at that recording of myself, I, I was pretty much effed up, you know? And it was because I was in this house and I was nowhere to go and the world was locked down and people were dying and it was something called COVID. And, you know, it was like the F, you mean, I got to sit with this. I can't, you know, every time you turn on a television, you saw red lines and, you know, it was just that. And when I went into the hospital, Ben, it was packed. <laughs> it was a party. <laughs> you know, it was packed with a lot of us in there and not a lot of black people, but it was a lot of people. All right. Let's, let's deal with that now. And, uh, so I'm going to put white people out of the equation for a moment. Because, <laughs> uh, I do believe white people have issues with not going to a therapist. I do not believe this is a, all, a, a people. Only, all people, but we'll just deal with the black part of it. Okay. So Allison, I'm not making this up. I have had black people tell me when I have told them, that I go to therapy or have been to therapy, that that's a white thing. I'm not making that up. They have told me that it's a white thing and black people don't need therapy because black people are strong because we were slaves and we endured slavery. I'm telling you what people have told me. Mm. You wouldn't believe the stuff people have told me, Allison. (laughs) People told me that too. What you talk about? Slavery? I ain't claiming it. And yeah. it was about black people. They had black people on my own show telling me. Um, this is what I know to be true now. Seriously. Um, I have what's called the brain gang. That is my aspirational brain brand that comes along with the brain truth. Why? Because I'm not an expert. I'm what I'm what I call a consumer. So I'm one of you. And the reason the show is so successful is because I'm speaking from a place of knowing how you feel, how you feel what you're going through. And I want to make sure that people know this. It's a long-winded testimony for me. I am one of you. So I had to bring people on there to process the conversation, right? And what I learned in my healing journey, that it's a combination of body, soul, and mind healing, which means it's just not therapy because I do go to therapy. 
cognitive behavioral therapy. I did EMDR, but it is also about regenerating the neural pathways connected to the brain through faith, through nutrition, through mindfulness, through forgiving, through letting go, exercise, and having people who are in your life that will tell you the truth. And my brain cane consists of that. Some of the top clinicians, psychiatrists, medical doctors, naturopaths, nutritions, faith leaders, mindful coaches who helped me in this journey. And not only am I off of the antidepressants, which I'm not sitting here saying everybody has to get off of it because that's not what I'm advocating. If you need to take the medicine, take it. The medicine uh, does what it does. But um, I do know that the combination of my journey, which is what I call my soup, my stew, my antidote, will get you to complete restoration, right? Um, I had a heart condition that I no longer have because in, in gratitude and letting go and forgiving your abusers and forgiving people who have tormented you, you can literally regenerate the endocrine system. Um, with mindfulness, you can literally start to help the neural pathways. Um, you know, we have the parts of the brain, the hippocampus, the hypothymus, and all these parts that is a muscle, just like when you go to the gym. And so there are things that we teach or we inform people that watch the podcast on how the brain functions. What is the brain's purpose? What are you eating that's doing this to the brain? I did a whole show because Black people eat a lot of crap that has color dye number 40 in it. So I went and spent $200 just buying the food and showing it on camera like Cheetos. Yeah. You know, Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, that's our official drink. Uh, Pledge allegiance to Kool-Aid. You know, and I was telling them like what was in it and what it was doing to the brain. And I did was tell them my brain gang, my psychiatrist, my nutritionist, my experts. Uh, and I had people calling in going, my kids are literally screaming and cursing me to death because I'm in my cabinets throwing this crap away. A lot of that stuff was like a contributing to hyperactivity, you know, giving these kids ADHD and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's my job. My job today, my calling, my assignment is to really just break it down. So for black people, we, we say to ourselves, you know, I ain't claiming it. That was the name of the show we did. I ain't claiming it. I ain't going to claim it. But we're self-medicating while you're smoking your blunt, you know, while you're drinking your fifth. If you're self-medicating something, you're not dealing with something. If you're not nurturing your family and you're not showing love in the household and your son is going out there doing drive-bys or selling drugs, there's something wrong. That's contributing to something in the brain that's filling a lack, you know, that's empty, that needs to be filled with something, right? <laughs> and so in the community, we think we got it all together because we're ashamed. It's a generational stigma to say you know, we don't talk about that stuff. That's the devil. You know, that's this. And yes, some of this stuff is spirit driven. Some of this anxiety is a spirit. Some of this stuff can, uh, the other day, my mentor, shout out to Miss Jessie Pearl Harrison. 
she, I had, I was having a, an anxiety attack. Cause still, you still, I'm not even going to claim it. I'm not even going to say an anxiety attack because I don't even want to claim it. I was having an issue. I even called it mental mishap. And I was like, I think I need to go to the emergency room. She's like, no, you don't. We're going to fight it because it's in your mind. Even when you have an anxiety attack, there are things that you do to ground yourself back to reality because it's, you're not in your reality. I mean, and we fought for an hour for her, for her and I to have me come back to my reality, right? Because we are not dealing with the things that are happening in our head. Um, when I came out of the hospital, and this is something else that I've done, I, I recognized there was a gap that I just filled. When I left the hospital and came home to my loved ones, and I was having anxiety attacks still, and I was telling my friend, I'm having anxiety. I'm having that. No one knows what to do. Calm down, relax, pray. Those are the wrong, 100% wrong. That's why when people leave psychiatric hospitals, a percentage of them either take their life or go deeper into depression. Because when you're in the hospital, it's structure. You get up, you go, you got to go to groups. You can't even get out of the hospital unless you're not participating, right? You take your medicine at a certain time. You wind down, you go to bed, you come back out here and people are like talking to you like this. Are you okay? I went out to a restaurant with some friends and they're like, are you hungry? I'm like, why are you talking like that? You know, oh, guess what? I met another person who's also has a brain injury. I don't have a brain injury, but we don't all know each other. Like all black people aren't cousins. You know, like, why are you telling me this? And it's just because they don't know, but those are triggers in the black community. They don't know what to say. And then, and then, you know, so what I've done is I've created a QR code and a resource packet that is going to be handed out to everybody who gets discharged from the hospital. Because if I call you, Ben, and I say, I'm having a panic attack, you're going to be able to pull down and say, Allison, name five orange things in the room, four blue things in the room, three green things. That's how you deescalate. You bring me back to my reality. You don't know what you don't know. And because people don't know what they don't know, and then if the black community not even going to counseling, you really, they don't know, no, 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 nothing. <laughs> they screwing us all up. All right. I want, you to go, <laughs> I want you to go back to a phrase you used several times. I want you to take a moment to explain what it means. So I'm now going to quote the phrase that you've used several times. And I have? Okay, you. what is it? <laughs> I ain't claiming it. Yeah, that is something that black people say when they don't want to claim something. That's a faith-based kind of faith-based statement. Meaning, I ain't claiming that, no. I ain't claiming it, uh-uh, not me. You know, I had somebody in my family when I was like, you know, she was saying how her hands were shaking and she was trembling and she was, you know, couldn't catch her breath. And this and I said, oh my God, you're having a panic attack. Let me, I ain't claiming that, that's you. Okay, well then just work yourself through the panic attack. Because that's what it is. Call a thing a thing, you know. And if we sit there and keep saying we ain't claiming it, we ain't claiming it, meaning, you know, that's you. That's not me. Ha, ha, ha. We'll never get to the root of the why. Claim it, then let's address it. So it's a form of denial. It's a big form of denial. And it's an arrogant form of a denial. It's a belittling to the other person form of denial. Because if I say... I have anxiety and you say, well, I ain't claiming it. That's pretty much like, well, you're claiming something that's BS, you know, or something beneath me when it's reality. 
you know, and we got to get past that. It's a form of gaslighting. That's what it is. So it's like uh, you, when a person says I ain't claiming it, it's they're saying, I know I'm acting really antagonistic or insane, but I'm going to continue doing it anyway. So F you is what they're doing. Boom. There you go. Okay. And let me tell you, black people are not the only people that do that. Yeah. And I don't want to just say the black people, but I, I have to say what I know to be true in this journey over the last two years of individuals that I've interviewed. I have 3000 people on my waiting list um, that want to be on the show. We don't let anybody just come on my show. I don't want to exploit people's stories. They have to go through actual intake. Through the clinicians, I have a, I have a, a lady whose husband shot himself in the head in front of her, and she was like, "I had to tell my story. I got to tell my story." I said, "When did it happen? Like last week?" Like, um, no to the no. Um, and so she had to go through eight months of therapy and intake, period, um, in order to be in in that conversation. Um, and so she didn't want to go to therapy, but that also helps me urge our community to get into therapy because a lot of the stuff that before they come on the show they have to do. If they want to be on the show. All right. So let me uh, go back to something else that you said. One of the hardest things to do for anybody, black, white, whatever. And uh, I will now say, I'm thinking of my dear mom uh, who passed on, could hold a grudge like no one else. She was the champion of grudge holders. (laughs) Okay, and sometimes I was just her eyes, so her eyes in the back of her head, right? They stuck. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes I'm like impressed at her ability to hold it. Uh, right. <laughs> Senility was coming in, dementia was coming in, but somewhere in the back of the mind, she's. You mentioned somebody's name. Oh, that's so and so. Oh my gosh. So you said learning to let go. Yeah. That I'm speaking for myself, Allison, is very difficult to do. Yeah. So talk a little bit about letting go uh, and why it's important. Shoot. I'm still trying. I'm that's, that's one of the, I'm on this last leg of some things that I'm still working through Ben right now, honestly, and letting go is on the top of it um, because it's hard because, you know, we live in our past and we live in memories and we live in relationships that may or may not be healthy. And we live in stories that we created, that we hold on to, to make it be the reason. Um, And so in order to let go, we've got to create a new calibration of a future that's healthier. And I've had to let go of people. I've literally had to let go of people that no longer served me in this new person. And, um, you know, you die to your old self in this new journey. Because we're functioning dysfunctionally, you know, we're, we're, we're snapping out and, oh, I just had a bad day. I snapped. No, nobody should be walking around snapping out on people, <laughs> period. I don't know what your belief system is. I'm not here to project anything, but I do know that I serve a God that is good and loving. And I know that we all believe that we are supposed to be on this earth to love one another, to care for one another, to respect one another. And if it's in the contrary to that, there's something else going on. So when you say letting go, you open my mind a little bit. When I began with the question, uh, I was saying letting go of grudges, so being more forgiving and more tolerant. But actually what you 
explained something different and equally important, and that is letting go of people yeah. from your past who continue to harm you, and you clung to them nonetheless for whatever reason. Yeah. Maybe loy- misplaced loyalty, maybe guilt. Maybe you just were too afraid to break free of them and confront them, have to confront them once you broke free of them. But whatever the reason, you were clinging to them. And what you're saying is not letting go of grudges, so much to speak, but letting go of people yeah. who are burdensome, to put it mildly. Am yes. I correct? Because, because I mean, it's all the same. If, if you got to let go of an emotional... Uh, trigger or somebody that just always pisses you off, or like you say, your mother holding grudges or people holding grudges, then why do you have to hold a grudge against a person? Let go of that person. So how many billion people, million people on earth? You know, I, and, if the, <laughs> and if the person's not serving you, then what is the person? I had to re- I had to reevaluate who was in my world and what purpose did they serve? I read a book called The Road Less Traveled. I don't know if you ever read it, but uh, one of the parts in there was... Um, the definition of love and being in love, right? And when I read it, I thought I had this my, this own notion. I had this for myself until I read it. And I go, oh gosh, yeah, somebody else has it. And I believe that when somebody says to you, Ben, oh, if your wife says, well, I'm now I'm no longer in love with you. When people say that to me, or when I hear couples, that means the connotation of sexuality or sensuality. Like, oh, you're not going to make love to me. You're not in love with me. Oh, you're not in love and love to me. That's that uh uh uh, right? Because I'm not and love like that with my son, but I love him. So is love any less, you know? And in the book, it talks about love being greater than being in love because love means nurturing one's spiritual growth. Are you gaining? And so when I start to take on that philosophy and notion that love was greater, I had a boyfriend that said, honestly, he said, I'm no longer in love with you. And I said, oh, who else you're seeing? And he goes, well, I did meet somebody. Okay, do you still love me? Well, I'm going to always love you. I'll take it. And so in that love, can I call you if I get a flat tire? Will you come help me? If I need to borrow some money, will you give it to me? He goes, yeah, you know, you're my girl. I love you. And do you know that we're friends to this day? That was over 15 years ago. And I actually had called him once when my car went out on Lake Street and he had somebody come help me. And love to me is nurturing spiritual growth. How am I benefiting to elevate my life? So when you have people in your world and you look and you analyze that, that is the letting go part. That is, is this person the love that I need? (laughs) I mean, are our conversations elevating my hippocampus, my hypothymus, my enigma? Is my brain growing? Is my heart purifying? Am I okay here? Am I safe here? So, So really letting go works in both senses. Follow me. So if you decide that somebody is destructive to you and it's not good to your mental health or your physical well-being to remain connected to them and you're only connected to them out of, like I said, either guilt or fear uh, or misplaced loyalty, uh, you let them go. You disconnect yourself from them. And when you do that over time, you will begin to let go of the grudges because if they're not perpetually in your life, they're not constantly you know, reinforcing those grudges, you know what I mean? Exactly. So it works both ways. Have you ever, have you ever heard of this, um, landmark education? Are you familiar with that? No. What is that? Oh my God. So there's this curriculum called landmark education. 
It was uh, called the S or Sir, some movement back in the 60s. And it was really built uh, as a curriculum or a program for uh, people who got these high level positions in Fortune 500 companies, blah, blah, blah. And it was a way to help them be able to um, deal with things that they would be confronted with on a higher level, right? But now it's available to everybody. So it's called the Landmark Education. I'm not trying, I'm not getting no endorsement for this, but I did take it. <laughs> and what it kind of similarly is, what we learned in therapy and what we learned, like when you look at Tony Robbins or any of these um, motivational speakers now, it is rooted in the landmark theory. Um, so the, in a nutshell, I mean, I, I don't, I want people to take it, but in a nutshell, it was about this pie, this, this, just imagine a pie guys, and you cut this pie up and 90% of the pie, right. is cut here. And then the other side is like 10% here. And then like, I don't know. I'm not good at math. And another 10%. Does that equal 100? No, 5% of 5%. Okay, that's not good. So 5% of, of the pie is the stuff that we know that we know. Like name three things that you know that you know. Don't overthink it. Just three things that you know that you know. Go. Right now? Do it yeah. right now? Three okay, things I'm, that you know that you know. That I know that I know because I'm going to name the three things that are just going to pop in my head. One. Uh, Allison Jordan used to be married to Craig Hodges. Two, oh. uh, DJ Nate, who is producing this show, uh, graduated from Lane Tech High School. Three, oh. I am wearing a Bulls hat because I love the Bulls. Oh. There you okay. go. I just did three things that popped in oh. my head. All right. So that. now name three things that you know you don't know. Uh, okay. I do not know which high school Allison Jordan went to. I think it's home with Flossmore, but I may be wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I uh, do not know what college DJ Nate went to. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do not right know what the coach of the Chicago Bulls ate for lunch Boom. today. Very okay. simple, right? Yes. So the bigger part of the pie is those stuff that we don't know that we know that we know. That's landmark. What does that mean? That means the stuff that we know that we don't know that we know. The stuff that we don't know that we know uh, that we don't know. Why? Because we haven't done any work on ourselves. It is a uh, curriculum for living for us, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm in a relationship with you, if I'm going to argue with you today, you walk in the kitchen, your wife is upset. You say, what's wrong with you? She say nothing. She slams something. You say something must be wrong. Nothing's wrong. Da, da, da. Now, <laughs> What's happening here? <laughs> what's happening here, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Landmark says, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it right now. Are you okay with that? Yes, I am. Done, right? Now, the what you don't know, you know you don't know, is that each time you do that, you're creating a new possibility. You're creating a new relationship. You're creating a way to communicate so powerfully that it takes away the anxiety. It takes away the unnecessary anger. It takes away the fact that y'all went back and forth. She's slamming now. Now you're slamming doors. Now you're going out with your boys for a drink. Then you come in late. Now she's mad you're late. Then you're sleeping. Now you're not talking for two days. Your, your heart rate's going down. You're getting a headache. It's affecting your tachycardia. Your blood pressure's up. You're eating something bad. You, it is a trajectory to death. And if we just stop and we figure out how does one thing lead to the next, leads to the next, that is what I'm talking about. And if you can let go of whatever's in the way of the possible 
what you don't know, you don't know, you will never get to what's possible in your life. You'll never be able to create this new way of being because you keep having the same crap right in front of you. Yeah, to break free of it at some point. All right, uh, we have run out of time, but before we leave, uh, one, two, a couple things I want to get uh, out of the way. Number one, when you're asking me what uh, I don't know, I said I don't know what high school you went to, but I think it was Homewood Flossmoor. Was yeah, that correct? Well, I went to Aquinas Catholic for two years, and I went to Homewood Flossmoor for two years and graduated. Class so that, that's an example of something I didn't know I knew. Boom. That's what, that's <laughs> the possibility that you might be clairvoyant. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I knew that, but I knew it. Uh, didn't I know yeah. about the Aquinas? All right. Uh, and the other thing is one more time. I know yes. folks are going to be intrigued to hear uh, your podcast. So tell them the name of the podcast and where, how they can find it. So take it away. The Brain Truth with Alice and Jordan every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Central Standard. And you can find us at The Brain Truth with Alice and Jordan on YouTube or at www.thebraintruth.com. And we're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean. Keep naming them. Every, every, any and everywhere you can find your podcast. Very yep. good. Uh, Allison, thank you so much uh, for coming on my show and uh, being so honest and everything. And it's just a blast talking to you. It always is. Same uh, here, Ben. I love you so much. I think you are. I told you that before. I think you're one of the, the, the greatest writers. I mean, you write so you know, you, you write the truth. That's all I can say. You don't, you don't try to add in your own flair. You tell it like it is and, and you write, you know, what people need to hear and people need to know. So I appreciate you. All right. I appreciate that. That is the great, and I mean, great Allison Jordan. Thank uh, you. I always call her Allison Jordan. Is Hodges part of your name or is it? I it's... use it sometimes when I have my son, just so I can sound like, you know, we go together. Okay. <laughs> All right, but I'm going to call you Allison Jordan when I post this. Uh, uh, yeah. the great Allison Jordan. Uh, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.